0: Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome to the 442 podcast, where we dig into the biggest stories in football. In the new issue of the magazine, we look at Mauricio Pochettino's Tottenham Hotspur, in five years, Pochettino has taken them from seventh in the Premier League to the final of the Champions League. From a club that were once so synonymous with mediocrity that Alex Ferguson could eke a team talk out of simply saying their name, they've become a staple of Europe's elite competition. Poch has become the longest serving manager at the club in over 30 years and has managed to oversee this transformation without spending big, with finances instead being invested in a state-of-the-art new stadium. So, how has he done it, what drives him, and what happens when he leaves? In this episode, we'll be discussing all of that, as well as Thomas Graveson and the weirdest football transfers of all time. I'm Connor Pope, and I'll be talking to Hunter Godson, author of 442's latest cover feature on Spurs, and Nathan A. Clark, freelance journalist and contributor to the Spurs podcast, The Extra Inch. On the 27th of May, 2014, Tottenham hired Mauricio Pochettino. He became Tottenham Hotspur's 10th manager in 12 years. There had already been two in the previous season alone with Andre Villas-Boas and Tim Shearwood. Um, so let's start with that context. How did Tottenham fans feel about the 2013-14 system? Nathan, I'll come to you first.
2: <laughs> uh, not great is the short answer. Um, I think what was going on with AVB wasn't like horrendously terrible. Like His sacking maybe came a, a tiny bit early, but the sort of the the regular um thrashings we were receiving to, to other top six rifles were pretty painful um so like it, it wasn't unreasonable that he was that he was sacked but like things got a lot worse when Sherwood came in I think uh results wise like under Sherwood it wasn't terrible and obviously he liked to to support that idea about himself as well but the performances were like they were not gonna last we were mm-hmm. heading in a, in, a, in a terrible direction
3: yeah, Sherwood likes to remind everyone that he has one of the highest win win percentages as a Spurs manager, <laughs> yeah. that essentially
1: is is I, a n- nil point. <laughs> I, d- I did look this up beforehand, and I think there was one manager from uh, the late eighteen hundreds who just about beats him. But I think maybe overall, I think that might have just been on a league record, and overall, Pochettino is possibly now edging ahead of Sherwood and uh, and you know in the Tottenham manager greats.
3: Yeah, and and even if he
1: isn't, I don't think anyone. <laughs> <everyone>, uh, <laughs> about sherwood <laughs> so, this, so there wasn't any kind of annoyance when when sherwood was sacked because he was given an eighteen month contract, but he only lasted what six
3: he was given an eighteen month contract I think because the the club felt like they sort of owed him um a level of respect because of what he'd done in the uh in the youth team set up mm. but um i mean from the f I was at his first game actually or one of his first games I can't remember but it was Southampton away and uh I, I think we won three two I remember Adebayor getting two. We played with Luka Modric and uh, I can't remember the others. But we didn't play with the defensive midfielder. So right, basically okay. Southampton would come forward, score a goal, and then we'd go forward and score a goal. And it, the game sort of just went on like that with no actual ebb, ebb and flow, no control of the game. And this is against a bad Southampton team at the time. Um, and that sort of set
1: the tone for the Sherwood. Who was the Southampton manager at the time? Can you just remind me? Actually, I'm just presuming it was Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, got it. Would <laughs> <for the team. laughs> so clearly, Daniel Levy saw this game and thought, "That's the guy I need it."
3: Well, yeah, we're conceding against him.
1: What What do you think attracted uh, Daniel Levy to to Pochettino? Because he he'd only had one season at Southampton, and uh, his job at Espanyol had finished when uh, they were bottom of La Liga. So it's not like he came in as as a kind of next superstar for certain.
2: He was doing some some really impressive things with Southampton. Um, I, he was sort of very softly linked to Spurs when we sacked AVB and we were looking mm. around, but he'd only been at Southampton a couple of months, but yeah, yeah he, he was doing some impressive stuff. Uh, he'd got some praise for his work at Espanyol, but then sort of things fell off towards the end for him there and they got relegated. But um, yeah, it, it was more about his, his style of play uh, and, and his ability to, to, to get a Southampton, a fairly weak Southampton side um, performing that way in the premier league. than it was about sort of any more obvious sort of accolades.
3: Yeah, there was definitely uh, his his work with some of the younger players as well didn't go unnoticed at both clubs, to be honest. And um, with Spurs rebuilding, as we were at the time, um, and w- with the opportunities with some of the young players we had coming through, I think it was a, you know, I think they clearly saw that we had a, a young enough team that he could come in and sort of mould that into a shape that he was happy with.
1: And do you think that that focus on youth is the kind of guiding principle of his philosophy, if he has one,
2: I think it's not so much about like exclusively youth. Like we're not talking about mm. like under twenty-five players here, but but like not already made megastars. Even even the the high-quality players we brought in this summer are, are still on the young side, aren't? aren't like uh, household names or anything? Um, so it, it's it's that sort. Of, it's the coaching thing. It's being able to to mold players to mm. his will and his desire
3: yeah absolutely. It's yeah his man management style that all the players sort of talk about constantly you, you read any interview and they just say he just gets it. He knows how to make me feel better and more confident in the way mm. I play.
1: How quickly do you think you could see a new style being implemented when he came in because, as you said under a v b and and Sherwood, it was some pretty turgid football, but now, I mean five years on, everyone talks about Tottenham as being actually a really attractive team in, in the Premier League.
3: I think that first season. Uh, Obviously, there was always going to be teething issues and they were still working out what the best team was. Uh, I don't think anyone could have said what the best team was when when he came in. Mm. Um, You know, getting rid of Soldado and bringing in Harry Kane, he was rewarded handsomely for doing that. Uh, And then sort of bringing through quite a young core to the team, Uh, bringing players through, like putting Christian Eriksen in his preferred position, working in a few of the new boys, um, I mean, it looked better. Mm.
1: ABB, if Avb was turgid, it certainly loosened up. I guess what I'm trying to get at was how quickly was there an excitement around it? Because Avb left, Spurs were seventh. They finished that season sixth, and in Pochettino's first year, I think he finished fifth. So it's not an immediate leaps and bounds onwards, but clearly, there's a bit of progression in there. But at the end of that first season, was there a sense that this is going to be a long term thing? This is quite exciting? Or was it just this is a transitional year and we'll kind of see how it goes?
2: Yeah, so again, there's sort of like that vague similarity with AVB. Like, I think they, they want to play a similar style. And so I think AVB's biggest problem was that he couldn't get the team pressing the way he wanted. And again, with Pochettino, mm. it took him quite a while to get that pressing game going. I think he he sort of um, pulled his foot off the pedal a little bit in that regard in the first season to, to focus more on sort of general cohesion and, and not rubbing too many senior players the wrong way by asking too much of them in that first year. So we weren't there with all of the tactical ideas and we weren't there with the performance. But there, there was plenty of promise, but there was also as there always is with Spurs fans, there was also some sort of worry that it hadn't overnight materialised into something amazing.
1: Mm. You you spoke about his his kind of man management and his coaching um, earlier on. There's a a great interview with Deli Ali in uh, 442 from April 2017. where actually, it's striking to look back at it and see quite how much of the interview focuses on Pochettino's man management. We'd interviewed him the year before and it hadn't really come up, but in that year... Ali had become one of the most exciting young players in Europe, probably. So how big a strength do you think that is compared to, especially other you know, recent managers in the Premier League who possibly man management of recent years hasn't been a big strength for those? Are you talk about Jose Mourinho? I'm talking about a couple. Maybe, you know, Ant- Antonio Conte as well. I think, you know, I think <laughs> you could probably put it into that bracket.
3: I think if you've got a young team you have to be good at man management. And and you saw it straight away, get, putting his arm around Eric Dye when he first joined and saying, you're going to be a really important part of the team, but you're going to have to play every position to get into the team. Um, and and explaining to players why they play certain roles and committing to the team in certain ways, Deli Ali learned to do it. Ericsson became a much harder runner. Um, you saw it, I mean, he doesn't have to turn it to players like Eric Lamella, but certainly that man, man management style makes players want to run that extra yard for him and you know with his training sessions you do have to run the extra
1: yard it's quite inter- on, on, on Dyer actually sorry something I've kind of been thinking about it's interesting over the past few years how the spine of the England team has had a huge uh, Spurs influence on it obviously Dyer's played quite a lot Kane is now captain you've got Deli Ali, uh, Kieran Trippy. obviously he's left now but the That has been an enormous thing that actually I don't think until quite recently you would have really seen Tottenham as synonymous with the England team.
2: We have sort of normally had one or two players in the sides, but certainly we're now at a stage where we're we're filling out the spine Mm. of the England team. Um, and that's you know again it comes back to coaching his his ability to mold players and um, it does help that we've had a, a decent academy production and and bought in good young players as well but it, it, yeah it's his ability to to, to coach players and, and improve them over time when we sort of talk about we often categorize coaches as sort of either tacticians or man managers but mm. it's 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 very much both like if you again when you come back to pressing if you want players to to run until they're bleeding out of the soles of their feet. Like, you've got to make them care about the cause. It's mm. the same thing.
1: He seems quite um, openly emotional as well. I mean, obviously, there were tears in Amsterdam, which uh, I think I think many people could understand. But you've also seen it a couple of times at press conferences. Mm. And he says that he cried when he left Southampton, even though that was only a year. Um, is there something in that that makes it easier to connect with him as a fan?
3: I think so. I think if you can see... a. a a manager's raw emotion about the whole the whole project i mean that's how we all feel about it and so when especially you you mentioned Amsterdam, when he's on the pitch on on his knees crying Mm. you can imagine most fans around the globe were also doing the same thing i know i was in my pants running around my living room with my girlfriend shouting at me not quite (laughs) tears but the other like the other end of it and uh (laughs) But yeah, you want to see it. You you can engage with that person. You can connect with that person. And so when things aren't going well, it hasn't happened that many times yet, but when things aren't going well, you can sort of, you know, there's the human element you go back to Mm. and you can remember the good times and that he does care. And so people don't question whether he's loyal or not.
1: I wonder if I might be kind of going off And a slightly weird area here, but he also seems to be very spiritual. He talks about universal energy I think he has a bowl of lemons on his desk to take away bad energy in the room, which is quite interesting. Do you get a sense that any of that he kind of puts into application within a football sphere? Or is this just a kind of like a separate part of his life that comes up a bit in interviews because it's a bit different?
2: No, I do do think that ties in. I think there's sort of like a vague sort of cult leader presence about him. Like he's very very full on. I think he's quite authoritative and he's incredibly passionate. So I don't know if he's saying, right today we're gonna recognize uh Energi Universal, or whatever mm. with his players but i think he has that sort of um spiritual a- approach and he doesn't have a 100 percent record because sometimes like he's he's pissed players off or he's fallen out of play and once around the colds yeah. like mm. once you're done you're done so yeah it, it's full-on and it works most of the time with most players but there is that also that sort of that negative side of, of when it gets too intense with him
3: yeah absolutely he films the players arriving and leaving at training <laughs> so
1: it, it, i didn't know that that's
3: yeah it's a, it's just like a d- he wants to be in control of every situation and he wants to understand every situ- situation and uh, i imagine for some players that's a bit
1: too much because one of the things deli ali said in that interview was that he can tell if something's off and mm-hmm. he'll, he'll take you to one side and be like what's going on how can we solve it and he understands that actually stuff going on in someone's private life can really affect what happens on the pitch yeah. so is, is this a way of him, this kind of weird monitoring, being like something's changing their character,
3: almost certainly. And uh, I mean, any little, yeah. If he sees something's off, he'll he'll get involved. And if he feels like something is done the wrong way, he'll also get involved. So a good example is GK and Kudu, who didn't have the best time at Spurs. He arrived to training on his first day in a really fancy car, and Pochettino apparently went out and told him, "No, no, we don't do that. We don't come to the first day of training in your fancy car." Because you don't understand the value of where you are, you haven't made it yet.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Because yeah. you you would kind of associate something with that with a you know slightly more old-fashioned English kind of manager. I know there's um in the in the new issue of of four four two there's that great interview with Chris Wilder who again actually you look at him and you think he's an old fashioned English kind of manager, but he's not really. And it it opens with him seeing, I think a green Lamborghini or something. Mm. And he's just like, Oh, that's a bit cheeky. Like (laughs) who's brought that along? I'm not sure about that, (laughs) which is a a, a great little kind of a contrast into the rest of his character, which isn't really like that.
3: Mm. Uh, Yeah. It feeds into the, the, the energy universal thing that you haven't earned it, or at least you, you you need to prove that you've
1: earned it. Mm. This comes back into a kind of... There's clearly a huge amount of attention to detail in his character, and he's a huge believer in that. I know as well as filming players on their way into work, he um, he changed the laundry detergent that was used to wash training kits and stuff like that at the club because he, he, he thought that they would play different in, in a different kind of detergent. Mm. Obviously, you've had the big move to the stadium over the past few years. Has he... Do you know if he's been involved in anything in terms of that process at all? Obviously, famously, Arsene Wenger was enormously involved in the way that the Emirates was designed. Has he, has he had any input in that, do you know?
2: not that i'm aware of i like i would like to think that he's had some sort of say or some sort of like mm. liaison going on but very much like as much as he's clearly working like 20 hour days and putting all his time to extreme use reviewing footage of players and <laughs> training there's also like this very much the segmentation thing of i'm the coach i'm the manager this is my area and the scouting players and the new stadium and that sort of stuff that's not my job um so yeah yeah as much as he's the things that he is involved in he goes 100% on but there's also a lot of stuff which is like part of the traditional uh manager in English club aspects that that isn't his role. Mm. And you'd have to also fight Daniel Levy That's to true. make any changes <laughs> to to anything.
1: Well I kind of <laughs> want to ask about that that relationship there now. What you've said about his attention to man management and that kind of thing and and the way that he brings up um players through through the youth ranks, even though it's not necessarily his one concern um but so you can clearly see how that fits into uh working as a manager under an owner like Daniel levy who has such a you know over the past few years I think a fairly austere approach and for for very good reason you know what is that relationship like and and it feels a bit strained at the moment is this the start of a, a kind of bad patch for him
2: no I don't think so so he recently uh after the North London derby said uh it's been one of the worst weeks of my time at Tottenham um, but it's over now because the the European transfer window is closed, and I think it seems like he's referring to Eriksson is still at the club, Vertonghen is still at the club, Alderweireld is still at the club. So I think it, it's been strained, and I think that we're now turning a page into a, a really healthy situation. Where hey, hang on a second, look at the squad that we've got for this season. It's it's better than it has been under Poch, you know, and we know he's a special manager. So I think there's a lot of uh, we've just been through a hard patch, so it's it's hard to to recognise the positivity, but I think that that will soon sort of be more obvious so i think there's a a positivity there there may well have been a strain over that situation between the two of them and i do think they are both sort of like um a type personalities and it's easy for there to be like a clash there as there is with any sort of chairman and manager situation Mm -hmm. um but i think again that segmentation means that they're they're probably not in communication that much on a day-to-day basis i don't think um, and they sort of they have their separate roles and they stay out of each other's way most of the time.
3: That's not to say that Pochettino wouldn't love to be more involved with certain areas of what Levy does. <laughs> uh, c- c- certainly, when it, it comes to buying and scouting players. Yeah. The, obviously there was a couple of flare-ups this summer where he said, "I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not doing that. That's what Daniel does." And uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if this comes to a head again in, in next summer because there are a few players out of contract now that if they go for free uh Spurs will be left out of pocket and hmm. and three or four very good players down.
1: Yeah. So so this is Vertonghen, Aldevira, Eriksson. And, yeah. and and so we we are getting a sense there, as as Nathan said about Pochettino's authoritarian kind of streak in him. Um do you see them getting back into the team at all this season?
3: They're, they're all already in there i don't think that i don't think there was any real fallout between him and the players, but there is definitely an issue with contracts and the players mm. but again he doesn't deal with that side of things so that's on uh that's on levy's sort of resolve
1: so he's now one of the longest serving spurs managers ever the longest one since the mid eighties but do you see what is happening at the club at the moment as a Tottenham Hotspur project or a Mauricio Pochettino project could it outlast him if he does leave
3: yeah
2: it could if if we manage to you know once again find our way into a manager of his quality Mm. that's obviously a big ask it it is a Tottenham project before it's a Pochettino project I think we talked before about the the time before he arrived with uh, VS Boas and, and Sherwood and yes those were troubled times but they were part of a general up trajectory that we'd seen over the last decade mm. under Levy and, and Enoch and yeah it's the Tottenham project but like Pochino is the the key
1: piece in that project. But do you see a culture within the club has that changed that would outlast him do you think?
3: But there's certainly a, an expectation change you know there's a shift when you come to the top four as many times in a row as we have now there's that there's certainly an expectation and everyone just wants to keep moving that next step up and uh, you've seen Levy splash more cash than he than he's ever done mm, before. Yeah. That's a big that's a big statement from him. And we p- we might go out again in uh, January and do the same thing. You ju- you just don't know.
1: Um Hunter, in your uh, article you write about Pochettino talking about he- how he feels he needs a trophy in his sixth season. Um uh, do you agree with that?
3: Uh god it's such a hard question now, isn't it? I mean, Thanks. there are a finite amount of cups that you can win. I've said this to you before and Manchester City are in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is they want to win all of them now. Yeah. It's not like it was 10 years ago when you know the Carlin Cup was like, yeah, we might win it. If we get to the semi-final we might play our proper team. Mm. Now everyone feels that pressure because of how fans are now. Everyone wants a trophy and that's the only way of deeming success when really <laughs> getting into the top four consistently is successful and Competing in those cups is important, mm. but realistically, if you, g- if you get to the final and you're playing Manchester City, good luck to you, because my goodness, they're good.
1: Do you ever look back on that second season he was in charge when Leicester won the league and think that's a bit of a missed opportunity?
2: It it was a missed opportunity, but I don't think it's like a it, our time has been and gone. I don't think that they will never come around again. Like Guardiola's not going to be at City forever. Uh, things can go wrong for other clubs. If we're there, if we're regularly finishing third f- for for the next few years, then we're in with a shot of. And if we keep making it to the Champions League final, <laughs> like so eventually, things are likely to go our way. I don't think that like our 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 chance has gone.
3: Mm. I think everyone just wants to be competitive. I think that's the really yeah. important thing. Of, and that was one of the only issues I had with the city game. Is we, we got a draw. That was fantastic. What an amazing result! But we're just so we're so far behind them um, as a project. But we are moving forward. Um, so it's important to keep going in the Champions League, keep doing well, but then do well in the, both the cups, and not shying in anything this year because we do have a lot more depth than we once had, except for a right back where we should have. Tried.
1: I guess, I guess it's like Jurgen Klopp a bit at Liverpool, isn't there? That he'd been there a few years, they'd not won anything. There were some people. I mean, I'm not sure you'd give them much of the time of the day, but there were some people who said that that he, Klopp was a failure because he'd not won anything, um, and then he won one game. Like he got to the Champions <laughs> League final the year before. So, in essence, it was only one game different, and now basically no one can can make that argument. Is that is that basically the same thing with Pochettino? <sighs> You you can, <laughs> you can make that argument, but I don't think it's
2: worth. Like, yeah. like, yeah, there's a there's a lot of similarities there. Or Liverpool have a significantly better uh, budget than Tottenham, although obviously Tottenham have spent more well this summer. But like, you don't get a parade for like successive Champions League qualifications and making it to the final. But like that situation, Pochino is one of the best managers in the world, and calling out for trophies doesn't change that at all. Mm. I, if you come back to the question, does he need to win a trophy like need to for like I need to breathe in order to stay alive. Like where's <laughs> where's the end of that? Like does he needs to win a trophy in order to have succeeded at Tottenham? No. Does he need to win a trophy to be a legend? Probably not. Does he need to win a trophy to be considered one of the top 5 managers in the world? No, because I think he already is. I think that's very clear.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. And but like you said, he has shifted his own narrative here, which is like I said, whether he'd admit it or not, it's a big shift for him. Saying that he needs to win a trophy, he's never said that before at Spurs. So whether he feels like his time is uh, not coming to an end but coming to a crescendo, Mm. that would suggest yes, and that he Mm. feels like he needs to prove something now with the squad that he's built.
1: But at the same time, it's starting to look for the first time as though he might be serious about leaving at some point in the not too distant future. Do you do you think that is a, a serious prospect?
2: It seems like he he wants to, um, yeah, put an exclamation point in his time at Tottenham. I, I see, he was talking about leaving when we were in the week coming up to the Champions League final. I do think mm. that one of the reasons he was saying that was to sort of distract from any sort of player rumours. Mm. But there's probably plenty of truth to that as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't doubt it. If he, if he wants to say, I've won the Champions League with Tottenham Hotspur by the way, who finished seventh the season before or something and then move on. I think that makes a lot of sense. So if he's saying, I need to win a trophy this season so that I can call this a complete project, then, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't
3: it? Yeah, I think, you know, I agree that I think the Champions League talk was slightly to detract from what was happening, the madness and the chaos Mm. of the, the PR whirlwind that was
1: going on around him. Because his point as well was, if we win, I'll leave. Yeah, exactly which is quite an interesting way of doing it isn't it. Is no one's going to be kind of put off winning the Champions League because because, because the manager might it. leave.
3: And I think most fans would have said well fair play if you win the Champions League <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. off you go into the sunset. He did speak about going back to Argentina. Yeah. And I mean you can totally understand that. Is there a harder task than winning the Champions League with Spurs in management? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so you've sort of completed everything there mate. Congratulations.
1: Oh how many clubs do you think he might leave for, obviously we talk about Real Madrid and <coughs> then there's talk about Man United there's chance both of those could become vacant at some point in the next season
3: yeah you'd, you'd probably say there's a finite amount of, of clubs you'd probably say size-wise it's Juventus Real Madrid he said he'd never go to Barcelona mm. and so by Munich maybe but but realistically he yeah. played at PSG, would yeah, they? Yeah, he has ties to PSG. PSG, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Potentially, but again, they're but but, I mean, but
1: those are the only ones that you really see. I don't,
3: see, I don't see him going for another project
1: in Europe. Hmm. What about United? Were they in your list?
3: You no, they think? weren't in my list. But I don't consider them to be <laughs> relevant in this list. You don't think? I he don't. Go I don't see what possible reason there'd be for going to Manchester United. Uh, So
2: they are not a million miles similar to us in in the sense that they they bring through a lot of players through their academy. And if you can mix in sort of what we've done this summer, mix in the sort of the reliance on academy players with also a handful of the big budget signings as well, I I think that that does appeal to him. I wouldn't rule out him going to United, um, but I don't think he's in a rush to go there either.
1: Yeah, I think there's also a sense of, in a way that... What Alex Ferguson once famously said about Spurs, lads, it's Tottenham. And that kind of summed up in that what everyone kind of believed about Tottenham at the time. Certainly you you wouldn't be able to get away with that in a dressing room anymore. But I do think there's also a, still an element, even after six years, of lads, it's Man United. Like, this is going to be one of the biggest clubs in the world, regardless of whether they come second in the Premier League or seventh. Like. That can still be a huge pull on a person. I, c- I can imagine him still wanting to go for that. Yeah, fair enough. If that's obviously,
3: obviously, I'm biased here. I see Man United as being miles behind Spurs in their project, and yeah. so for him, it would be like hitting the restart button and going over there. Look, the money's the money will be amazing. The like you said, the audience at Man United is second to none. They have the m- the most fans in the world. Yeah um it's just whether he he'd want to do that you know and who knows
1: so finally if he did leave who would be the kind of manager that you would want to replace him someone as
2: close to him as we could find essentially um <laughs> no names are coming to mind <laughs> obviously um, i mean
1: Eddie howe has been brought up in the past
2: yeah how how i'm not 100% on i i would that's something i'd i'd really want to do like a a big when the time comes mm. <laughs> like a big deep dive on, yeah. on who are the players who play like he does, um, who who aren't sort of established massive names. Like there's talk of like Jose Mourinho at the moment. It's just like, why or reason? I don't think we need sort of some yesterday's manager who, who everyone is familiar with. I think we want to find another Pochettino. But uh, that time isn't yet.
3: No, it's not yet. Absolutely not. But, you know, there are names that are being thrown around. Jose Mourinho is one. If you're looking for a similar sort of, man Diego Simeone mm. and then
1: you've got as a young a young
3: model Hassan Hütel. I was just about to uh, suggest Hassan Hütel.
1: yeah yeah do you think he's he's that that kind of same I
3: absolutely love the way he plays he plays a a five player press which is brave and great to watch um whether that will will work with the current Southampton squad is yet to be seen. But I do respect and I enjoy the way that he plays or tries to play anyway.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Also
1: in the new issue, we spoke to former Everton and Celtic midfielder Thomas Braverson and yes, I know what you're thinking, and we did ask him about how the hell he ended up playing for Real Madrid. The, the main thing is my agent called me, and I was in the cinema with my brother, and 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 and, and, and he called me, and I said I, I gotta take this phone here, so I went outside, and and we were saying, he said, uh, what do you think about Madrid? So I thought it was a Madrid to begin with, so I said to him, but well, I like Everton too,
0: you know. It's Real Madrid, he said. So I went like, it's Real Madrid. <laughs> OK.
1: The Thomas Gravison move to Real Madrid then is a complete classic of the genre. We, we pushed out the question, what are your favourite weird transfers out on Twitter this week? And loads of people came back with Gravison. I think for a lot of people, it is literally the first thing that you think of. But we've we got a few other great ones um, Another one to Real Madrid was uh, Julian Faubert. Loads of people brought that up, especially as there is such a fantastic photo of uh, his presentation with the Real Madrid shirt with a frankly bewildered looking Alfredo Di Stefano, um, which really sums up that one, I think. Um, Ryan Nelson and Luis Saha to Spurs actually came up uh, quite a lot. What, what, what do you guys make of that one?
2: It's sort of, it's an infamous one amongst Spurs fans because we were pushing towards the title at that stage. Uh, a crucial January window opened up. We've got depth issues in the squad, and then we sign um, <laughs> an aged Louis Saha uh, and a, a frankly below our level Ryan Nelson. And um, it, it, it's sort of a, a stick that is to this day used to beat Levy. You know, he doesn't back the manager, but obviously that's now out of date. Um, so it, it's an interesting relic of. of, of so,
1: As a Blackburn Rovers fan, I'm a huge Ryan Nelson (laughs) fan. Um, I mean, at the time you signed him, I think he was about 35. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you just needed a centre back. It was the last day of the transfer window, the January transfer window. You got him on a free, but he also only played one game for Blackburn that season because of a knee injury he'd had. Um, Which (laughs) I think quality (laughs) signing. Just (laughs) actually, my favourite thing about this is that in the last issue of 442, we had in the season preview issue, we had Harry Redknapp. And he talked about it and he said, well, actually, I wanted to, uh, I would have preferred to sign Luis Suarez from Ajax, <laughs> but my hands were tied. Um, except for the fact that Luis Suarez had signed for Liverpool a year before yep. he signed Luis Suarez. Yep. So I'm not quite sure what. It's just what. a classic Redknapp
3: quote, really, <laughs> isn't it? I, w- <laughs> I would have signed him, but, you know, forgot. Um, Victor
1: Valdez to Middlesbrough a couple of years ago. Oh, that, oh, that's yeah. a great one. Yeah, brilliant signing that. Um, Ali Dia to Southampton, of course, <laughs> is a classic. Ray's soon is convinced that it was uh, George Ware's cousin after a phone call. I think he lasted what, thirty-three minutes, twenty seven yeah, minutes?
3: That's quite that's not bad, you know. Thirty-three minutes for being
1: How long do you think you'd last on a Premier League football pitch without someone noticing that you weren't a Premier League footballer? Uh I could do ten. Yeah, I think ten in goal. I think four and I'm out. I think yeah. as soon as I'm getting on, people and are asking jogging. questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first sprint. Um Edgar Davids to Barnett. Um, Joe Bruin, the uh, digital editor of 442, he brought this one up. That's a personal favourite. I think he played nine games for Barnet. He got six yellow cards and three reds.
2: Was that a player manager position as well? Yeah. And, and he, he got he sent <laughs> off as the manager multiple times. Brought
1: himself on and got sent off Lovely. a couple of times. Um, right? But th- yeah, David, as well as being player manager, played in the, the number one shirt, oh which I think is... The uh, arrogance there is unbelievable. Joe Cole to Coventry City in 2015. Anyone remember that? No. I, 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 li- I mean,
3: he made a lot of moves very quickly towards the back end yeah, of his.
1: Literally, someone could have sent this in and I've not checked it <laughs> and it could be wrong. Um, but apparently he played with a young James Madison there. Um, oh, really? Similarly, Samuel Eto'o going to Everton. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten Again. about. Uh, great transfer that though. Robert Perez signing for Villa in 2010. That's a great one. God in twenty
3: ten, that's yeah, I think that's it, worryingly it's recent.
1: Thirty six year old Nicholas Anelka going from West Brom to Juventus. Yeah. Brilliant. That's a great one. Anelka had a few great weird moves. Yeah, he did. He went to, you know, City and then Liverpool and then Bolton. Mm. Um Bolton, I mean around two thousand and two, two thousand and three. They had Ivan Campo, Yuri Jorkeev and JJ Okocha all signed from in a space of uh twelve months. I think that is that's got to be up there with with the best periods of just bizarre transfers a going. Bolton on. in life,
3: yeah, definitely.
2: I think for a while it's probably been eclipsed now because sort of Neymar's gone back and forth. But for a while, Anelka had the record for like cumulative transfer fees because he'd obviously yeah, moved again yeah, and again did and, did. and again for like a, a moderate amount.
1: I feel like Robbie Keane did as well for a bit. Yeah, he did. He was free. definitely up there. Definitely that that move from Wolves to Inter, which frankly, a great weird transfer. That, yeah. w- that was quite a lot of money for the time. So I think, uh, and then he had a lot of moves after that.
3: Yeah, I like um, Nicholas Bentner to Juve on loan after <laughs> <laughs> after failing the season before.
1: There's a brilliant clip of him being going around the internet this week of in training, doing one-on-one practices against the goalkeeper and missing every single one. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Nathan, I think you had one more that you wanted to bring up so for the Spurs.
2: A, a, yeah, a popular Spurs one. I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but B- Bongali Kamulu, um, who... So the 2010 South Africa World Cup, I think he played for them. I don't know if he was even a starter for them. But I think we signed him... It, it, it smacked of Daniel Levy. I think we signed him as like a... Win over some South Africa fans because they've just been watching their country. (laughs) They're all excited about their country. Now one of their players has gone to Tottenham, and then like he arrived in training, and it's sort of like a like a small time Ali Dia thing in that he didn't get on the pitch because he arrived in training, and it's like, oh right, this is like a semi professional. (laughs) (laughs) What position did he play? So he was a centre half. Um, he played quite a few minutes for under 23s not because like there was any threat of him like actually progressing anywhere but just like to be a senior player for a bunch of kids and also to fill in there whenever we had injuries there but he went out on loan a lot as well just as a means of getting his wages off off the books
1: um, I mean I'm sure Harry Redknapp's excuse there was well I wanted to sign Rio Ferdinand <laughs> of West Ham but you know Nathan Hunter thank you so much for coming in today You can find Hunter and Nathan on Twitter at Hunter Godson and at Nathan A. Clark and myself at Connor Pope. You can buy the new issue of 442 in shops now or online for £5. And while you're at it, you can subscribe and get five issues delivered straight to your door for just a fiver. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do drop us a lovely rating, a review on iTunes, and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks very much for listening. The music you've heard is by Howl Griff.